Blogs were all dedicated to people who ran faster and were all training for marathons. No one talked about crying on street corners. And that the fact that I had to I had to justify and talk about my body all the time was making me so sick. Hey, and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. If you're new here, we interview women around the world about their stories as runners. And primarily we talk to ultra runners, trail runners, or anybody that walks in the trails. But we also spend some time chatting with road runners or just women who have been huge in the community. And that's who we have today. So Kelly is the head coach and creator of the Badass Lady Gang. And I actually used to listen to her podcast when I used to drive around for sales run selfie repeat. And it was one of the first running podcasts I found. And it just had this other level of vulnerability where you actually got to really know her and follow along on her journey to try to be Q. And it was captivating. You can tell from this interview, she's just super easy and articulate, easy to relate to, and that she really believes that running is supposed to be fun. And that is a message that I think sometimes gets forgotten. And we talk a bit about how the running world is so catered to people who are fast that there's not as much out there for somebody who is newer or experienced and just not that fast. So ironically, she was trying to get a BQ and did have uh, some super fast times, but we kind of get into how her enjoyment for running and moving isn't really based around that and that it almost got better when she sort of let the paces go and is now... Focusing on the Badass Lady Gang, which is a community that serves female athletes, and I think you guys should check it out, badassladygang.com. Okay, so a final reminder that next week we are choosing the winner for our contest to give away a free entry to Red Rock Canyon 100K in Las Vegas. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, go do that now so that you know how to enter. And I'll also just tell you now how to enter. So if you go to the new Instagram page that we created for the podcast, it only took 215 episodes to do that uh, at Trail Running Women Pod. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Find the post. Maybe I'll pin it to the top. Yep, I should do that. The latest post and comment with a name of a friend that you would like to enter the race with. And I guess if you win, you would want to share the entry fee. Anyways, it's going to be awesome. It's November 11th, absolutely epic race, and you can come do it with me, and that would be fun. If you want a backlog of episodes, those are on Patreon, so you can find that link in my bio at Hillsport55 or at Trail Running Women Pod because Apple only shows the last 100, so there are 115 now that are disappearing from the interwebs, and they are absolutely amazing episodes, so you can definitely find those there, and I also do some about once a month, a personal training blog. I am going to leave it at that. Here is Kelly. I have a guest today that I've been excited to chat to for a few weeks now and someone whose podcast I actually listen to a lot. And I'm so excited to get into your story, how you started the Badass Lady Gang and everything that you do. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Oh, I love that. I love that you listened to the old Run Selfie Repeat podcast. <laughs> I think it was one of the first running podcasts that I found. And you did such a good job of like investing or getting people to invest in your story as a person that I was just there to find out like 
how your running was going, how your goals were going. And it was like a show you had to wait for every week. And it was the first time I found podcasting to be something that I actually looked forward to, not just that I randomly found on my phone. That's so cool. It was the wild, wild west when I started mine. I mean, it was so long ago. Like podcasts were just starting to be a thing and like genuinely didn't know how to do anything about it. And it was like this snowball chaotic mess in like such a great way but it's coming back it's coming back very very soon so i'm ex- i i miss it i really miss it i loved i loved doing it i mean i i love i love doing these interviews and getting to like meet so many people it's so fun well did you have any idea that your show would get so big no i thought i thought like a couple hundred people who were like loyal followers <laughs> would <laughs> listen and i I because re- I remember like I bought a Yeti mic on Amazon, and this is truly like 2018, 2017, maybe 19, earlier than 19. It was a long time ago, years and years ago. And so I bought a, a microphone on Amazon, came the next day, recorded the first one, and I remember like Googling like how to how to publish podcasts. And it was like, it takes about a week or two for Apple to accept it. And then the next morning I woke up with an email being like, it's on the hot and new list on Apple Podcasts. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I was looking at like how many people were listening and I was like, oh no, Uh oh, I I don't even know what (laughs) this is going to be. Like, I don't know what to talk about. Like I haven't thought this through. I thought I would like, I would kind of learn how to do it so that I could then make a different show and (laughs) just work out the kinks with a couple people who like were very forgiving. So we were like off to the races pretty much immediately. (laughs) And I, I remember at one point I thought I would do one every day and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's so funny. And that's so amazing because if you I mean, I feel like everybody wants to have a podcast now. And if you try to Google how many listeners you get because the market's more and more saturated, it's really hard to ever get to a couple hundred listeners. Right. So you oh, obviously yeah. just struck a chord with people. Well, it was, I so, mean, when, when I got started, it, like, it wasn't really a thing yet. There, like, were, there weren't running podcasts, you know, like, it was brand new. And so I just I think I, I think I was in the right place at the right time. But I also, like, they were short weekly pep talks. They weren't, they weren't really interviews with people. So the, the structure of it was super different. Yeah. And the other thing, and the same reason I think that even this show has, gotten a a nice following is there's a lot of running podcasts out there. There's not a lot that are super relatable to the everyday runner. So people just found themselves in you. And I think that's what your entire kind of gang is about. Right. And people can relate. And that's the part that made it inviting. Yeah. I think there's like a beautiful messiness to a lot of what we do And we really focus on that and understanding what's happening in the chaos of it all so that you can you can build confidence amongst the imperfection of all of it. That's really like our core, like what we're doing is just trying to help people see what your best is, is your best. And that's all you really need to be focusing on. You know, like we could we could throw the platitudes that we all see all everywhere of like comparison is a thief of joy. And, you know, one man's success is another person's, you know, failure, all this weird, all those weird stuff that you see, not even weird, you know, like the super shareable stuff that hits a chord for you, but you don't understand why Mm. we really want to dig into the why. 
Okay, so we have totally jumped the gun because I kind of fangirled. <laughs> Let's back up. Why don't you give us your elevator pitch about the community that you've created? And then we're going to go even farther back and get to know kind of your history a bit. So let's start with just the the outline of what your community is that you've created. Yeah, we're we're doing things very differently at the Badass Lady Gang. It's a by and for she's and they's community that really focuses on meeting people where they are, giving them the tools and resources that they need to move well and move joyfully for life to understand what diet culture is and why it's so pervasive in the fitness space and arm them with everything that they need to enjoy the the highs and lows and moments in their life when they are going to have big goals and then other moments in their life where they're just not really going to be motivated by much and they just need to find fun ways to move that isn't motivated by guilt, shame, pressure, all the like external factors that kind of get people moving that aren't sustainable, that aren't healthy and that that suck the joy out of out of fitness and movement and and wellness that at our core is what like the baddest lady gang is we're just trying to connect people make friendships like real friendships community is not a word that we toss around it is it is what we do it is who we are we are like a friendship first and then a really really big educational kind of platform second that's kind of what we're doing at the badass lady gang Oh yeah, that's such a good point because when it is external pressure and all that other thing stuff that you noted, I feel like when that's over and if you lose your motivation again, you're in a deeper hole. So every time you try to use an external factor, it's harder and harder to dig out of that. So finding something that can really develop that joy of running long-term is really hard to do. So you need the community to, to do that. Otherwise it just fades in and out and becomes harder and harder every time. I've experienced that more and more recently, actually. All my running friends are pregnant and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> without oh, all my buddies, yeah. just out here alone. <laughs> it's like one of those things that the longer you do this, it does move in waves, you know, like people are more committed and then they they back away. They might come back, maybe not. And it's it's really hard when you're when your running buddies move on or like move away and it makes you feel like, am I going to have fun doing this thing anymore? Yes. Or and like it the is same way that I once did. Totally. And so you start having this fear and then also kind of mourning of what was, I mean, that's loaded, yeah. but it's true when you, when it becomes so much of who you are. Right. But I guess that's a dangerous thing as well. But yeah, I mean, that's okay. really why like our in-person chapters are, are structured the way they are is that was something I really ran into was I spent a couple of years really, really training like in a very gnarly way, I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon and it just took over my life. And my entire friend group, these people who I love and grew really close to were tied to training. So the second I backed away and got significantly slower and wasn't, I wasn't able to run the mileage that they ran. I lost that friend group. Like we just weren't, we, we weren't hanging out the way we were. It became something that we had to work really, really hard at because it's we're so lucky when you do have in-person running friends that you like can kill two birds with one stone. You can train together and you can also connect while you're training, which is so great. But when you lose that, it's like, oh my God, did I just lose all my friends? Do I just need to keep training for marathons in order to like 
stay in the group. So when we made our stuff, like we were like, how do we make a group that is that is friendship first and a fun workout second so that when you show up, you might be getting two miles in 45 minutes. You might get three miles. You might get one mile. But like it's really about it doesn't matter what you're training for or what your athletic level is because you everyone's going to have fun doing this thing regardless of where you're at. Yes. And then you're going to leave feeling like you're kind of filled up in a variety of ways. I love that. Yeah. That was important to so, us. Let's back up a bit and get into kind of you as a human and how you came across this need that is obviously was really big at the time. So we chatted a bit before the show, your very early 30s, and this has been around for a while now. Obviously, you guys have a huge community. So let's back up to say high school, childhood. Were you a runner? Were you an athlete? And how did you ultimately find running? No, I had a terrible, terrible relationship with sports. Like I, I had a very like high school musical <laughs> idea of sports. Like I was a theater kid and everyone else in my family was sports. And it was like, I just was super resentful to them and I didn't like it. And I didn't love, I, I just, I had the weirdest relationship to it and I really didn't like it. I didn't like what they were doing. I didn't like what they were about. I didn't like the community that they had versus ours. And I didn't like the elitist nature of it, which I know is like my shit. So hold on, just stay with me. And then everything was wrapped up in body image. You know, like I was never a skinny body type. Like it's just not the type of body I have. I was I was healthy, but I wasn't able to see that because I I had doctors, you know, like talk to me about weight loss and all this stuff. And so I I pretty early on developed like an eating disorder and I I I struggled with that for 10 years. And what sucks is after I graduated from college, I lost my community. I got my undergraduate degree in theater and I lost my way of hiding from what was going on with my life. I had lost my brother unexpectedly and between theater and my studying for theater and then also like a really, really unhealthy relationship with working out. I was going to the gym for like an hour a day, twice a day. I just didn't have to deal with my shit. You know, like I could, I could numb out and get too busy. And so that was fueling me for a long time. And then when I graduated, I lost both those things. I lost my gym and I lost, you know, my community. And so going to the gym motivated by weight loss is not something that's going to motivate you long term. And so I was I was struggling. I was having a hard time going to the gym like an animal the way that I had been. And I was really nervous that like feelings were creeping back in that I couldn't suppress anymore. And so I started running and it kind of like put a band-aid on that. And through that, even though like I kind of started by running from my feelings and running from my problems, it did eventually become the thing that helped me like get the courage to start to deal with them. And I did through the podcast because I unfortunately for so long was such an open book. You know, like I was I was figuring things out in front of people and talking things through in front of people. And and I really found this relationship with myself that I hadn't had the courage to really like do the work on this idea that I was really struggling with perfectionism and I was really afraid to fail and I was afraid to do things I wasn't very good at. And I was, I just was really afraid to be vulnerable in a, in a, in all senses of the word. So I kind of, I kind of fell into this being my job very quickly. I started running in 2012 and then, you know, 2000, 
14, I went viral and had a, a following and a platform all of a sudden, like overnight. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about running. I didn't grow up being athletic. I didn't know what I was doing. And all I knew is when I was starting to run, like a lot of people who find running later in life and kind of like fall into the deep end of the like, I'm a runner now pool and I love all things running and this is my personality. I struggled to find anything that like related to me, you know, like there weren't running memes. TikTok and Instagram weren't really things yet. Well, TikTok definitely wasn't a thing, but Instagram was influencing wasn't a thing yet. Blogs were all dedicated to people who ran faster and were all trading for marathons. No one talked about crying on street corners and the things I was. So I would just make like evergreen content that was super shareable, listicles, memes, stuff like that. And then I slowly started to share my story. I became a women's running contributor pretty quickly, and which is wild because I didn't know anything about running. So <laughs> in what world did anyone think it was appropriate to be like, perfect, you should be, you should be giving people advice about running. So it was just like a wild, wild ride. But one thing led to another and a lot of people felt the exact same way I did. They felt like they didn't belong in the running world. They felt like they like they just felt weird at races. They loved it, but they also there was some weird weird nagging thing that that made them think I keep needing to prove I belong here. And this community was born, badass lady gang we call ourselves because it's like such a such a juxtaposition of words that you know, like badass, the running industry would never call us badass, you know, like it's just people, people all the, all the time tell me that, you know, like in the comments, like badass, you guys are badass. And it's like, okay, cool. Thank you, stranger. No one asked you ladies, because I think the, I think lady is, is such a problem in and of itself, <laughs> you know, this like societal idea that we need to be polite and la 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 la. So I thought that was funny. And then gang, because like, we're not very threatening. <laughs> There's nothing threatening about a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of women running together on paper. So it, the words itself just made me giggle, and so it fit. And we started calling ourselves that, and an online community started to grow, and then our in person chapters started, and then we started our training stuff because I just got tired watching all of these cookie cutter training plans and all of these programs exist that weren't really servicing everyday runners. They were overtraining them. No one was doing the mental side of thing the way I wanted, I I thought would be super rewarding. So I was sick and tired of like asking, asking people to make it. And I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. And so here we are. First of all, I have so many things that came up there, but do people actually still take the time to comment? All the time. About us? <laughs> all the time. What is the point? All of the time. I, it's men, man. The audacity of men. It's always men. <laughs> you know what? I better just tell these people, stay home. Like, it just blows my mind. We just have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, anyways, that's going to, yeah, that would be a whole other podcast of just venting about that. But yeah. So during all this time, you decide to start a podcast, like we talked about at the beginning of the show. And speak through your experience weekly. And what I really liked about it is that it really felt to be kind of real time and how you were feeling about your goal and of qualifying for Boston and whether or not this was going to come true. And it went through all of the excitement and the self-doubt that I think we all have when we're training for something and you kind of judge your ability on every run and it changes daily. And it was 
just nice to know that other people think through all of these crazy things too. But what was it that made you decide, actually, before you decided to start a podcast, how did running for to qualify for Boston become a goal of yours? I kind of told myself, I made this like promise. I remember after I ran my first marathon, I kind of promised myself, anytime I tell myself I can't do something, I promise to at least try. Because I felt so paralyzed by that, this this notion of if I don't know how to do it, or if I don't know the first three steps, or if I don't think it's going to come true, don't say it out loud because you're going to let people down. You know, like I, I really was motivated by this notion that the disappointment of what was inevitable was scarier than just trying, you know, and that, that perfectionist mindset was, so, it really drove me. And I had this, I just had this construction of myself, you know, like, I really built so many walls. I was afraid to let people know me, like truly be me, who I was and things like that. And so when, after I ran that first marathon, it was kind of like the first shatter, the first like shat. If you think of like a big giant glass, like piece of window pane in front of you, like that was the first shatter of that glass. And so I kind of made that promise to myself and I stuck true to it for a while. I moved to New York. I, I was, I was really like starting to figure my life out. And then I'd been running for, three years at that point. I had just broken four hours in the marathon, which felt impossible. But I also had a really hard time saying that goal out loud. I kept saying, I would love to break four, but if it happens, it happens. And I just want to have fun, which was true. But there was also a lot to be said for this lack of preparation. You know, all of these all of these insurance policies that I had for myself to try to protect myself from the, the disappointment that would happen if I fell short, you know, and having to explain to people that I couldn't do it with even when I gave my absolute best, I couldn't do it. I was too afraid of that. I really thought that would hurt so much more than than giving in my absolute best and falling short, which I now know the latter is, yeah, you're always going to be disappointed when you fall short of a goal. But if you do give it 100 percent, like you, you walk away feeling like a winner, you know, the disappointment is tiny compared to what it is when you know you weren't brave enough to just commit, you know, so. I was at Boston cheering with friends and one of our friends had ran it and we were all at dinner and she was like, Kelly, why don't you try to qualify for Boston? And I told her, I said, I I could never take myself seriously enough to qualify for Boston. And it just made me feel so gross. Like it really did make me feel so gross that I said that out loud and not even that I said it out loud, like that I really believed it, you know? Because I was running tons of marathons. You know, the year prior, I had ran three marathons in one year. Like, that is like textbook definition of someone who takes themselves seriously. (laughs) You know, that's so much training. So I had listened. Beyonce had just, I love that Beyonce is such a big part of this story, but she really is. She had just released Lemonade, that like visual album. I remember I sat there and watched the entire thing and I like, I was so overwhelmed by it and so like affected by it. I had to take a nap. And then I woke up and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I have to do it. Like, I have to be brave. I have to, I, like, why not? And then the content piece of it, you know, like, this was my job. And I was like, and it'll be so funny to watch, you know? I genuinely thought I would try for a month or two and be like, this is so stupid. This isn't worth it. This sucked the, all the joy out of running. And I really did think I would I would be able to say running fast isn't as isn't as rewarding as as running for fun. And it ended up being this, like 
life-changing experience. And luckily, I had just like so many great people in my corners. I had this incredible team. I had this incredible support system. I had a really great coach. I had so many great coaches throughout the whole Be Cure Bus journey. And most importantly, I had my uncle, who's a sports psychologist, Dr. Bob. And he was such an integral part of the whole thing. And he ended up becoming this like really great character on the Run Selfie Repeat podcast. And I like still get I still get emails from people talking about how Dr. Bob has like changed so much of how they perceive themselves and what they're capable of, which is so cool because so many people got to go through it with me. You know, it was like I was, <laughs> it really was like I was like t- videotaping and recording my, my therapy calls for everyone to hear. He also is like, it, he really helped, you know, inspire the structure of how we do things in the Badass Lady Gang now, all of our journaling and mental you know, resources. So it's fun to be able to to provide people with the resources that I found the most, you know, transformative because it, you could train for something all out physically, but if you're not doing the mental work, you are leaving everything on the table because that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. That's the part that's really going to be the hardest thing to master. Just want to take a quick second to thank today's sponsor. This show is brought to you by AG1. So I have been taking AG1 for just over a year now, and it is one of the longest standing supplements that I've ever taken for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is so easy. So all you have to do is mix one scoop in with cold water. And like I've said before, you can do it the night before and have it in the fridge, which I've noticed that my husband has now started copying me, or just mix it in the morning or before your workout, before your coffee, after your coffee, whatever works for you. And... The second thing is that it actually tastes good. So I have been searching for a greens powder for so long that I don't have to plug my nose to drink. And AG1 actually tastes so good that I enjoy drinking it, which is the key part in making this habit sustainable. And now I do not have to try to fight with bottles of pills and vitamins because I'm getting 75 high quality nutrients from just one scoop. So I've definitely noticed all the little extras that come when you've taken it diligently for so long, like skin and hair and nails. So I also like that the cost is only less than $3 a day. So that's pretty good if you ask me because I have definitely been guilty of getting a $6 coffee every day and that is not adding to my health the same way that AG1 is. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com backslash TRW. That's drinkag1.com backslash TRW to check it out. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that's one thing that like you almost don't even know until you're in the middle of a marathon and you're like, oh, this is a deep, dark place to be. And I don't feel prepared for this at all as much as my legs feel fine or however they feel. So What are some of the best, most important things that you took away from Dr. Bob? There's a lot of concepts that he he helped plant a lot of the seeds that helped me cultivate big, like the most important one I think is self-efficacy. This idea of, do you believe you will succeed? right? What needs to happen in order for you to believe you will succeed? Because for so many people, they think they need to run a certain distance. They need to they need to at least see physically that they can do something before they do the thing. And it's like, that's not true, right? There's a reason you don't run a marathon before you run a marathon, right? The 
for if you're running a marathon for the first time, there's a reason 26.2 miles is the first time you do it on the day. Same thing with a half marathon, right? You're probably not going to hit anything close to 13.1 before you do the thing. Self-efficacy is all the coins that you put in the coin jar. It's all of the training. He he would have me throughout training really, really pay attention to what I said to myself. So write down what I was saying to myself before, during, and after workout so that we can identify accurate self-talk. Accurate self-talk, self-talk is exactly what it sounds like. It's just true or not, right? I don't want to go for a run today can 1000% be true. It doesn't matter if it's negative or not. Like we don't need to pretend, you know, I want to go for a run, but that's the mindset that we are trying to get to. I don't want to go for a run today, but I really care about this goal and it's really hot outside and that's why I don't want to go for a run today. So I'm just going to I'm just going to take whatever pressure I'm putting on myself or whatever expectations I have for the experience off and I'm just going to go show up for myself how I can. Like that reframe right there is is like where he got me and that made all the difference, you know? Yeah, because it's such a great example of things you can pull from running that are going to be so useful in your life as a human being too. Yeah, it's it's all interchangeable. And it's so funny because like running, running really can be such a powerful tool for like cognitive behavioral therapy because the the bar is so low. If you fall short of a half marathon goal, like your life's not going to come crashing down. You're not going to lose money. You're like your loved ones, you know, aren't going to leave you. You know, it's just something that you're invested in and care about. And you have another shot to try. You're not going to lose your job, etc. So it's it's an opportunity to really like get messy and play with ideas and, 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 and constructs that are scary to do in real life. Cause there's consequences, you know? Yes. That's such a good way of articulating it. And that definitely resonates with me for sure. Where you're like, yeah, my husband isn't going to be like, Oh my gosh, that was 10 <laughs> minutes slower than I thought it was going to be like, I am yeah. out of here. <laughs> When you say it out loud, it's so ridiculous, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. So, okay. Talk us through a bit about when you start getting into your training and the actual events that took place trying to qualify for Boston and what race you you went for it at. The first, so I tried to, I tried, there was like three, we could call it seasons. There were three seasons of BQ or bust. It was like a YouTube vlog that also, you know, had a podcast element to it. And obviously it played out on social media as well. The first time around was, I think the most eye opening because I was learning things. I was learning everything for the first time. I had never done speed work. I had never gone to a track. I had never had to deal with predefined limits, the idea of predefined limits, seeing paces that I, I genuinely in a million years never thought I could run, how scared and, and doubtful I felt seeing them on paper, how frustrating it was to want it more than anything in the world, but then fall like, like pull back, feel yourself pulling back in the moment. Like there was just so it was so huge and overwhelming. I mean, I was trying to go from four hours to three hours and 35 minutes. That was the jump I was trying to make. So it was a huge, huge jump in, you know, trying to shave that much amount of time off of my marathon time. And at the same time, I was going through so much in my personal life. You know, like I was so poor. I was like living with family, 
I was on the cusp of something. I was trying to figure out how to make this a job. So I had just so much stress on top of that. So it was just like a huge giant pressure cooker. So it was very entertaining and hugely transformational for me, but it was really stressful. <laughs> I remember that 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 summer being like one of the most stressful month or like three, four, five months of my life. I got really close. The first try I did, my BQ time was three hours and 35 minutes. And I did, I think I did 342. So I got really, and I finished and I, I, you could, you could have thought I won the gold medal in the Olympics. Like I was so gobsmacked that I ran like I did and performed the way I did. It was so rewarding. It was one of the best feelings I've ever felt in my entire life. It was incredible, remarkable. And I finished and I was like, oh, I have this. I'm going to do it. Next time, 1000% I'm going to do it. Like, There's not a doubt in my mind that I don't have this. And I hadn't felt that confidence, you know, ever in my whole entire life that like, I will do this, which was really cool to see. So, and then ironically, like the next day I woke up and found out I got into the lottery for London the next year. And I was like, perfect. Six months from now. No. Yeah. Probably about six months from now, five months from now, I'll do it. So then the next time started, I moved home for a couple of months. So I lost my training group and was training alone in San Diego. And then I came back and about two months before the race, I got hurt. I had my performance muscle was acting up. I wasn't doing my strength work the way I should have. I just wasn't taking care of myself. And I think all the stress that I was under just caught up with me and everything kind of went out the window. It was like, I don't know if I can, if I'm going to be able to do this anymore because my training wasn't, wasn't what I wanted it to be. You know, I was dealing, I was just dealing with the unknown and the anxieties that come from an injury. The day happens. I run, I think I ran like a four hour, which was incredible. But it wasn't the day I had worked so hard for. And that was really, really, really disappointing and upsetting. And just, I was gutted, so gutted. And then I started this long road of rehab, trying to get my injury under control. And that took about six months. And then the following year was the last time I tried. And that time it was just I felt mastery when I was doing it. And that was really cool. And I was in an incredible training group. I I got to do this program called Nike Moonshot here in New York City, which was this giant training program. And they provided us with three runs a week. I had the best coach in the entire world, Rebecca Stowe. Just like, oh, she, she just makes her athletes feel so seen and supported and just in the driver's seat it's she she's she's a huge reason why i'm the coach i am today like she's everything i want to be in a coach and i just felt like i had it you know the whole time like the, the training experience was so magical and so much fun and all that fear that i felt the first time wasn't there and i ended up running i want to say 337 was was what i finished at my time for my bq time changed to 330 so i was off but like I felt so proud of myself, you know, like it was such, it was such a crazy ride. I didn't BQ, but I, I was really unhealthy when I finished that last BQ cycle. And I kind of was in a place where I said, 
promised myself I was done. I wasn't going to try anymore. And I was instead not going to do anything the following year. And I was going to get back into therapy and work through all the things that had happened to me in that last two or three years and all the stuff that I was really struggling to acknowledge to myself and, and move through. So I did. (laughs) It's so funny how sometimes the world just like gives you things that you need to hear at the right time. I just had such a similar experience where a training is so good and it's so your focus for so long. And then on race day, it just doesn't happen. And you're just like, what? And the regrouping from that is actually a challenge harder than the race itself, actually, especially with the marathon, because it's not like next week you can try again. You have to wait and devote some of your life, which takes away from other parts of your life to do it again and reevaluate if that's worth it. And the disappointment is huge, but trying to take the positives is equally as challenging and all of these things. So uh, I just like that you shared that kind of so openly and, it's funny because a 337 marathon is still so fast. So it's like, that should be such an awesome accomplishment instead of what you missed out on, right? I'm really grateful because it really is like, thanks to Dr. Bob and having that resource that like, obviously I was a like a touch disappointed. I would have loved to enable, like been able to add that button to that whole journey of like, I did it. But it was so small, that disappointment that I felt compared to like just how amazed and proud of myself and like fulfilled I felt from the process and journey that I had just gone through. It was so, and that's a testament also to Nike and like the community support that they give to New York and other people. Like it was just so fun. You know, like I I never once felt like I didn't do enough. I never felt like I I still to this day think I could have done it. You know, like I now know a lot more. I know that I was in the high hormone phase of my cycle. I know that I have PCOS and my cycle's really wacky. Like I started the race that day and I felt like I had 30 pound weights on my ankles. Even though I had tapered, I had done everything I needed to do. I had plenty of massages. I ate fulfilling foods. I slept all the sleeps. Like I did all the things, but you know, on the day, you don't know what's going to happen. And I now know that like for me in the high hormone phase, I just need to be fueling faster and my hydration needs to shift a little bit and I can't carb load, you know, like I need to eat, I need to eat enough food to, to fuel my marathon. But like I, I, I made a couple of things I wish I could have tweaked. I don't know if that would have made a difference for the day, but the biggest win was like, even though I started and I'm like, Oh shit, (laughs) like I feel this is not the bouncy fresh feeling I wish I felt. I was like, girl, you know, you can slay on tired legs. So regardless of what happens, like we're going to, I don't care if your legs fall off. You are never doing this again the way like you are today. So fucking push, like show up. And I, and I did, and I'm like all of the mental tools that Dr. Bob had put in my tool belt. Like I I just was ready to reach for them and I knew how to use them. So it was like, I really felt I really felt proud of that, of everything that had happened and all the work that I had done. But it did leave me in like in other parts of my life. Like I was, I was pretty broken and needed to do my work in other places. In relationship, work, that type of thing, or can you elaborate? Yeah. Relationship, work, my eating disorder was so bad. Like I, and I just had a very unhealthy relationship 
to body image and myself and my relationship to running. Like it, it really did. It's hard when this is your job, you know, like running for a long time was the thing that really helped me grieve my brother and find myself again. And then it became my job. So the thing that I loved so much was like in juxtaposition to the thing that paid my bills. And it sucked because like, I felt like the only time like anyone wanted to work for me was when I was running a marathon and I, I have to, I have to work. Like I, what am I, I have to pay the bills. So I just kept having to run marathons in order to get paychecks. And that sucked. It really did. It put me in a really, really unhealthy place. So I was really lucky at the end of 2019 that I was in a position where I like could restructure everything and say like, I'm not going to lean on brand support anymore to like pay my bills. Badass Lady Gang is going to be like the sole focus and I'm not running marathons anymore (laughs) the way like that. So I really was, and then 2020 happened and I was really able to like just take that year at the end, like from the end of 2019 on to just like really work on myself in therapy, like once a week. And I'm in a really great place now, but the timing of 2020 was helpful for me, even though it was just the worst ever. Yeah. I can understand that. I think it's interesting that like you yourself are dealing with a eating disorder and body image, but at the same time having the sports bra squad movement, everybody is looking to you for how to feel good about their own body while you're internally struggling with this. So How was that mentally to know that people are looking up to you and feeling like perhaps you haven't completely overtaken it yourself? I think when we like when everything started, it was a body positivity movement, which I now know body positivity is a Band-Aid. You know, it is it is not going to change anything. It's going to shine a light on the work that needs to be done. But if you don't want to walk in that room, right, like you're never going to get to the root of the problem. So for me, I came to learn that the fact that I had to I had to justify and talk about my body all the time was making me so sick. And on top of that, I mean it, it makes me so I mean, I don't want to say grossed out, but like it's I'm definitely disappointed in myself that I would talk about myself and my size the way I would because when you talk about size privilege and you talk about <laughs> my body shape at that level, like I was tiny, you know, I was a size 10, which isn't tiny for most people. But for me, like I was, I could walk into any store and buy clothing, no problem. You know, I'm in a very different body now. And I look around at the fat phobia that exists and I feel gross that I talked about myself the way that I did and pretended the world treats me the way that it did when I, I now really fully know how unfair it is for people in larger bodies and how like the shit they deal with. And that's not fair. So I really had to rumble with a lot of stuff and I had to get to a place where I, where I had to learn what body image resilience was and how to get there and how to arm myself the same way I did in BQ Robust with my training, you know, all those tools that I put in my tool belt, I had to learn how to do that with body image and, and the way that I talked to myself and the thought, the thoughts I had and believed, because when we talk about this idea that like 
body and bad body body image days exist it you need to know what you can do in those moments you need to be able to to discover what the trigger was what happened that's making me feel this way like what out there is making me believe these things that i believe to be true about myself you know because you're not going to fix anything ever but you can turn those tidal waves into ripples so that you don't have these these like just high highs and low lows. Like you can get to a place where you can understand that the world wants you to feel like you're you're a work in progress in a bad way. You're some you're someone who constantly needs to work on yourself and fix yourself. I mean, I look around New York City right now and every single subway station is plastered in Ozembic and similar ads, which like that's a medication for some people that that between them and their doctor, that's for them to find out. Like there's no judgment for me ever on that sort of stuff. But like the, you look at the discussion around Ozempic right now and it just really, it's so gross that they're taking away, you know, like the autonomy over someone's health from someone. It's, it's just everywhere. It is everywhere. And there are triggers everywhere. And if it, we, I mean, we call them landmines. So when you, when you look at running, you know, like, you don't know where those landmines are. And you think, well, I'm running now and this is this really healthy healthy habit that I have. And you don't really understand the slippery slope that's there. And it's really easy to take it too far and start over-exercising and not really take care of yourself and start focusing on the things that really are making you sick, despite the fact that you're doing the thing that the world tells you is healthy, you know, working out all the time. So I, I, I just... I did a lot of work in therapy to really help myself and I have bad days and there I live in a world that tells me that health is a look when we know health is not a look it's a lifestyle and that lifestyle doesn't mean working out every single day all day you know it's balance there will be times in your life where you shouldn't be working out you should be doing you should be give, taking the little time that you have and putting it into other areas of your life relationships etc yeah, there's so much there. That's such a good point. I think the Ozempic thing is wild because up in Canada, it's not everywhere yet. So every time I hear somebody in the States talk about it, it kind of terrifies me actually, because I know eventually it will become legalized in whatever way that it is easier to get. And just thinking like so many people were worried about a vaccine, not to open up a can of worms, but if it's something that's going to make you skinny, like, sure. I don't care what it's going to do to me in 50 years. I'll be skinny today at whatever cost, which is terrifying in itself that we're willing to take those risks. Yeah, the whole thing's frustrating. You know, we know so much more about, about you know, weight. And it's it's this, I mean, it's just honestly like... <laughs> There's no magic bullet. Nothing's going to make you quote unquote skinny, right? Like skinny is a body type. Nothing's going to change your body type unless you want to do plastic surgery. Then you can for a little time, like if you're going to shave bone or, you know, inject stuff that that weren't there before and put literal plastic into your body, which no shame. It's just a decision that you should make with your doctor. And if your doctor says it's appropriate, then like, why are we shaming people? And like, we're, we're like, I get that. I get that discussion with celebrities not being transparent around this and the other, but like we're all under the same pressures. We're all living in the same world where, where we're being told that if you, that, you know, like for, for female beauty ideals or, or male beauty ideals, you know, like your worthiness is attached to your waistline. And 
until we all get to a place where weight just isn't a problem and we 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 all deal with our internalized fat phobia <laughs> like it's just going to be a never ending rat race to like try to fix ourselves which that's not an issue like we don't need fixing <laughs> You know, no, it's exhausting. And you made another such a good point too, where you talked about the way you spoke about your own body. And then you look back and realize maybe the effect that had on people who were bigger than that at the time. And that's something that like our group of friends has really come to realize too, where we all have different bodies and we've all been told that we're too big kind of our whole lives. And then having somebody who's size zero say like, oh, you know what? I'm only going to have smoothies for the next two months because I think I've put on a couple of pounds. And your immediate reaction is to be so angry because you're like, I'm twice your size. How do you think that makes me feel? And then the sudden realization like, oh shit, I've said the same stuff around people twice my size and we are just domino affecting this on each other. And it is this moment, I think, where you realize how much impact your own thoughts have on everybody else too. And it's just, yeah, it's just going to take time. Like you said, until we all deal with this internal fat phobia, because it's totally true that we all have it. Yeah. You'll rarely see me talking about my, my size on social media anymore. Like it, unless I'm doing it in a way that that is pushing people towards understanding body image resilience. I don't like justify it. And it sucks because those are always the posts that did the best, you know? And like, for me, social media is a job. I have to give reports to people when I'm negotiating stuff. They want to see engagement rates. They want to see likes. They want to see this, that, and the other. And they only want to be a part of the messaging that does the best because they're trying to sell you something. So for a long time, like I did so much of that because it worked. And I get it. I get why it worked. It's because we're all desperate to be seen and to, to, to have someone validate why we all feel so, so othered at races or we, we, we look, we flip through a sports magazine or a sports catalog and it's so frustrating to see certain body types and not others. Or when you go to the websites and you see people in certain body types modeling clothes and you're like, well, I have no idea what that's going to look like on me because I'm a hundred pounds heavier. <laughs> like what? how am I supposed to figure out what works for me? So I think we are in a place where we're starting to see the shift, which is really exciting and nice. But like, I want to live in a world where we just don't talk about our bodies. We don't feel the need to constantly talk about it. You know, for me, when I'm with friend groups or even my family, you know, like I'm really good about putting boundaries up in, in with people when, if people do start talking about weight or feeling this or that, you know, or the other, I'm just like, Hey, I can't, I can't be a part of that. So like, if you, if you want to have those conversations, just do it without me. And I, I just I just won't be a part of it. Like I can't, I can't. It's just too exhausting. I'd love to talk about anything else other than the constant feeling of I need to be smaller. I need to eat less. La 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 la. It's like I just unsubscribe. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, I love that. I think that's kind of just what you have to do. And that I think it's too bad that you know the business side of it is the business side of it because I think the cool part of your Instagram is when it isn't talked about and that has the most impact because you're just seeing something without it having to be talked about like you just said it's just yeah. the normal of what you're seeing and the more people that can kind of buy into that probably the better it's so freeing to know that like badass lady gang is sustainable and I don't need to rely on brand deals anymore yes. because as fun as they are and can be it's the worst like influencing is the absolute worst. 
I really struggle with it. Like I hate it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm sure it feels scary to be wondering like, how sustainable is this? And do I have to be exactly what I am today always to have this income? And it, oh, yeah, God, it's so much work. I mean, I hope anyone who looks at stuff and they're like, wow, easy money, you know, like there's nothing <laughs> easy about it behind everything. There's like a month of back and forth and people arguing that you're not worth as much as you're asking. It's <laughs> awful. Well, thank you for the transparency. Oh, it's the worst. So that actually was a good, a good segue into kind of what you are focused on and the run coaching part of it and the inclusive community. So tell us a bit about who you coach and what you guys offer and plug your business. Yeah, it's, it's really different. It's really hard (laughs) to help people understand what we do because I think we all like kind of have an understanding of what running coaching is like, but we don't do one-on-one running coaching. Everything we do is like, I'm a huge believer in vicarious learning. So we do the big giant group coaching calls where you can come with your one-on-one questions. And even though you might feel like you're being selfish, everyone is learning together. Everyone is seeing questions that maybe they haven't thought to ask before, or they're seeing their experience mirrored, or they're, they're being given questions that they can start to chew on together. And in turn, you have a group of people who are really invested in you. The other week, I think it was last week. So we start everything with conversation starters. You, you say your name, where in the world you are, because we're a virtual training team. So we have people all over the world. And then we always do like a conversation starter. So sometimes it's silly, like an unpopular opinion. And then other times it's, it's you know, like, what are the three, what, what are two things that you're really frustrated about in your training? And last week we did, what's one thing in the last year that has really surprised you in your training or, you know, in your work? And someone was like, that I'm so much more invested in other people than I thought I would be and how much fun it is. And it's like, yeah, it is fun. It's really fun that every single week, it doesn't matter if you're training for your first mile and someone else is running a marathon. When you really see these people show up to the calls and struggle to get everything done and go through shit, right? Like if there's one thing you can expect in a year, it's that anything can happen. People die, relationships end, job stuff. Like we come to these calls like our full selves and it's really just like this support system where anything goes and you have like a really, really healthy place to just work through stuff. And then we have these expert talks throughout the year. So we have a bunch of experts who do jump on these live calls with us and there's a theme. So we have like, we have a social worker who focuses on, you know, like body image and eating disorders and that those are always really, really fun calls with Colleen. And then we have a pelvic floor therapist, a physical therapist. We have, you know, a sports psychologist. We have a registered dietitian. We have all these people who are able to really help put all the tools that you need in your tool belt that you're going to need for life, you know, to really like help you learn about the whys behind a lot of the things that you're like thinking, feeling and believing about yourself or the world that we live in. So it's really, really fun, but it's really different. You know, like anyone who's been through therapy (laughs) knows that like, it's a lot of work. So we're not just asking you to like train for a half marathon. We're giving you journals and, you know, all of this mental work that we're then like, we're really making things a lot harder, but in the long run, it's really transformative and fun work. 
Yeah, it's so much more just about life than the running. Hey, it almost sounds like it's therapy and then running is just a random thing everybody does on the side. <laughs> we always joke that the Badass Lady Gang team to therapy pipeline is like three months. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so good. That's what we need. And it's it's so nice, especially when people are working from home or on maternity leave or something that feels very isolating, that to have this community so accessible and so open is is so motivating on so many levels. Totally. And then we get to like hang out, you know, we had a retreat this year and then the Chicago marathon is always a big, you know, baddest lady gang event. So it's like all these people that you talk to all year long, you then get to go hang out with in real life. Or we have people who maybe they live an hour apart, but like once a month they run together and they become real friends. Watching the real friendships stem out of the online stuff is for me, like why we do it. It's really, really fun. Oh, it's so cool. And I just keep thinking like, there's just no way you could have planned that when you started training for Boston, that this would kind of be the outcome, you know, totally. so, totally. so far beyond the like time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, be- it's been the longest overnight success ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a great quote. So we're, we're almost running out of time here, but I want to know what your, a couple of things, last questions, what are your goals for the future, both personally and running? And then also with Badass Lady Gang? Personally, I just really want to continue to build out the Badass Lady Gang. You know, like for me, too many people feel so alone and they train alone and they don't have anyone to share the experience with. Maybe their friends listen, but like they don't run they don't get it you know and everyone knows what it's like to talk to people who don't like running about your running and it kind of sucks so making sure that people have safe places where people are excited together or sad together or frustrated together all the things is for me really important i think the more people who don't feel lonely the better we are genuinely in a loneliness epidemic so it feels good to know that we are one one piece of the puzzle that's fighting that personally, like for me, that's, that's what I'm all about in terms of like my running. I I am training for a half Ironman. So in September I'm doing my first half Ironman, which is wild. (laughs) That is going to be so awesome. Oh, I love that. And it's just so good for your body to do the biking and the swimming and everything. Also. It is. So I can't, I, I cannot believe I haven't been riding a bike. I love riding a bike and swimming. Right? It's so fun. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just rode my bike for an hour and went five times as far as I do when I'm riding. (laughs) And it felt so much easier. And at the night time, my hips aren't like aching as I lie in my bed. It's magic. Cycling is the best. (laughs) Oh, great triathlon plug at the end. I love it. Okay. Last question before we get, actually, you know what? I want to tell you a quick, quick story. And then I'm going to ask you your last question. Yeah. I just want to talk about how inspiring your journey has been to everybody. And it doesn't really matter your pace. Cause we talk a lot about it being inclusive to people who maybe are new to running or something like that. But I had another guest as well, Jeremy, who talked about how inspired she was from your podcast and your journey. Aww. And she just ran a 243 marathon. <laughs> wow right like it's so cool to be like oh it doesn't matter like you can just take inspiration from what you're doing at at whatever pace it's so crazy because it's all effort level you know like we we use a lot of v dot which is jack daniels theory and 
threshold pace, which is like comfortably uncomfortable. When I was trying to like BQ, my threshold pace was probably like eight, eight, eight thirty. My threshold pace today is probably closer to eleven. How it felt, right? How threshold pace feels, regardless of like wh- whether I was significantly faster or not, feels the exact same, right? The effort levels will feel the exact same. It really isn't about the pace. It's about the work. And you don't know that because you, unless you experience how different everything is, like you just, you don't get it. And it's, it's just so cool to hear that. But I mean, like we're all dealing with the same shit. And that's not to say that like slower runners aren't dealt a terrible hand because the running industry is really fucking slower runners hard. Their experience sucks. And it's something everyone should be talking about. But I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, because no matter what your pace, you're being compared to somebody's body who runs faster. And that's yeah. kind of what she, she experienced, right? She's just it's standing next relative. to the Olympians. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. all relative. Um, and so the other thing, after you do your half Ironman, the natural progression is definitely a 50K trail run, which uh, I feel uh, like you it- should- <laughs> I say never say never, but I am not an outdoors kid. Like I don't, <laughs> I do not like the outdoors. I don't like the woods. I don't like hiking. I don't like bugs. Like I am a city girl. So I oh, feel like that's so the funny. biggest. We just went to New Hampshire for Memorial Day. We do it every year, and I was like, I hate it here. <laughs> There's trees. I'm not into it. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, that's definitely going to be like the intro clip for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Unpopular opinion. <laughs> the screensaver of the outdoors is enough for me. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I can relate. I'm a city person too, but. <laughs> I, I can't see it happening. I do not pick my feet up when I run. And every time I do trail run, I just eat shit. Oh yeah. That's all of us though. They only just post the Instagram pictures where you're not falling, but trust me, falling is more <laughs> It's a no from me, dog. (laughs) Well, you're still young. So yeah, we'll see. Never say never. Never say never. (laughs) But probably not. (laughs) Okay. This has been so much fun. Um, I love chatting with you. I want to thank you so much for your time. But my last question is if you could describe running in three words, what would they be? Oh, painful, fun, enigma. Oh, good one. You're like episode 211 or something and the first person to say enigma and that is so accurate. It's an enigma. You're never going to figure it out. Just give yeah. up. <laughs> and that Not give up it. running. Give up trying to like figure it out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Never. Oh, awesome. Yeah, just surrender. <laughs> okay. So if our listeners want to find more of you or join the Badass Lady Gang, plug all your stuff. Where can we find you? Yeah, you can go to badassladygain.com. That will that will take you everywhere you need to go. I'm Kelly KK Roberts on all the socials, but we also have Badass Lady Gig on all the socials as well. Okay, awesome. And I'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes. And good luck on all of your next events, adventures, coaching, and everything that you do. And thank you for everything you've given the running community. Thanks, Hillary.